0: So giving your kids a range of emotional experiences and modeling that for them, again, it normalizes the fact that there is a huge, huge range of emotions that is normal and expected as human beings rather than making it be mysterious.
1: Welcome to Season 6 of Fluster Clux with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and all the big feelings, too. We tackle the serious stuff without being too serious, and I'm your co-host, Robin. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker,
0: mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clux, and I'm here to help you find your way. I'll give you concrete steps to take and the words to say. So Robin, we've been getting a lot of great listener questions and I routinely say I read them all and there are some that I really just want to save to do a full episode on. And this is one of those questions because it seems like a unique problem and it kind of throws parents for a loop often, but it is something that I come across on a pretty regular basis. I want you to read the exact listener question, but the gist of it is what happens when we have kids that seem to just be really afraid of feeling feelings? So they're afraid of feeling it themselves, but also they start to avoid things that will evoke any kind of emotional response in them. So it means that they're staying away from movies or going to parties. And it can be positive or negative emotions, but it's this sense of this feeling is overwhelming to me. And it's almost like they have a fear of feelings is the way to think about it.
1: When feelings are scary. When feelings
0: are scary, even if they're not scary feelings, the feelings themselves are scary. So it's an interesting topic, but again, something that I run up against quite a bit, actually. Go ahead and read the question for us.
1: My eldest kid, who's six, feels really overwhelmed by very intense emotions, and I don't know how to describe it. He doesn't want to see movies or puppet shows because I think he's scared of a feeling that they can provoke. And I don't mean being scared of scared movies, which would be understandable. It feels like he's scared of feeling overwhelming feelings and not necessarily fear, to the point that he won't go tomorrow to school because they're going to show a movie, and I don't feel I should force him to go unprepared. Is this another kind of worry or anxiety? I'd like for him to overcome this and be able to enjoy a family night movie or go to concerts or to the theater. Am I starting to doubt he will grow out of this? Can I use the worry brain approach and how?
0: Okay, this is something that I come up against a lot, and here's the thing. So first of all, when somebody says, is this a different kind of worry? It's a different content of worry. The way that this child is responding to feeling big feelings is the same as this child would be responding to if he were afraid of loud noises, or if he were afraid of bumblebees, or if he were afraid of tummy aches, or if he were afraid of fill in the blank. Because it makes him feel uncomfortable. He gets overwhelmed. And then of course, his goal, his response is to try and avoid. What happens with this is very similar to what happens with every other worry or anything else that we're afraid of, is that it just feels too big for him to handle. And for whatever reason, and we don't have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out why does he have this problem and what's going on, this is probably just an emotionally sensitive little person. Just like some people don't like spicy food or some people are really overwhelmed by loud noises or they don't like crowds, this is something that he's getting overwhelmed with. The approach that you take is the same, having a discussion with him about how his worry shows up and announces to him and makes him feel
1: scared and overwhelmed when he's feeling big feelings. The cheat sheet about what anxiety is, is it's that how can you tolerate uncertainty and discomfort? The mom would really want to lean in on the feelings make you uncomfortable approach. You're afraid of feeling uncomfortable by a variety of things. Right. So she could even start off by saying... I
0: know that this makes you feel uncomfortable and give some examples. Say, you know what? There are some people that get uncomfortable when they see a spider. Talk to him perhaps about the things that he doesn't Get worried about that, maybe very commonly, other kids do. So you say, Remember how when you started to swim, you were so excited to jump in and you put your head underwater. There are some kids that get really nervous and really worried about putting their face in the water. Or remember the time when, and so you're giving him a range of experiences. So remember, we're using the content to practice the process. So his content happens to be these big feelings. And what we want to do is we want to say, you are going to feel big feelings. And you might be watching a TV show and somebody feels really sad. Or you might be watching a movie and there's a time when somebody's feeling really anxious. That makes you feel uncomfortable. But the way we learn how to manage our discomfort is to sit there with it and let those things happen, let those feelings come. And let ourselves get used to it. So right now, what happens when we help kids avoid is that they never get the experience of being able to get to the other side. We want him to get to the other side of these feelings. And it's probably those feelings that make us all uncomfortable, right? Sadness or worry. It could be even the intensity of somebody having a big surprise, even if it's positive. You want to give him opportunities to feel, to experience this trigger, this content, and then you help him get to the other side. If you say, well, Our goal is to not have him experience these uncomfortable feelings. So we're going to make sure that he avoids movies or he avoids TV shows, or we don't have him go to birthday parties. You are doing the disorder because you're then saying to him, you're confirming for him, yes, these feelings that you are experiencing, that you are witnessing, that you are a party to, these are too big for you. So we need to make sure that you don't experience them. You want to talk to him, not a ton, right? We don't want to over talk it, but you want to make sure that he has some emotional literacy so that he can say, in this movie, Winnie the Pooh felt sad. Or in this TV show, Piglet felt rejected. Or when I was watching this movie, it was really scary when the kitty fell into the water. You know, those Disney movies, like Incredible Journey, right? There's always like some cat clutching a log going down a river. These are big feelings and they make you feel uncomfortable. You don't even have to talk a lot about those specific feelings. You can help him give a word to it, but it's the experience of him witnessing this that makes him feel uncomfortable. How can you watch things together and help him move through it so he gets to the other side?
1: Let's take a break, but when we come back, let's talk about a lot of different ways that parents and younger children can develop deeper emotional vocabularies, because I feel like that's kind of part of this. Yep. How are those New Year's resolutions going? hot, Make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash flusterclux. That's earthbreeze.com slash flusterclux for 40% off your subscription.
0: Hey, so the other day I had to change my car insurance and guess what? I bought new car insurance and they sent me a check, right? So that you could buy something and get money back at the same time doesn't happen very often and it's pretty darn fun. That's why you got to check out Ibotta. Ibotta is a free app that gives you the most cash back every time you shop. On hundreds of items from groceries to beauty supplies to toys, you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. So the average Ibotta user earns $256 a year. That's actually more than I got back on my car insurance. I'll tell you that could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Other apps give you points that don't amount to too much. With Ibotta, just add your offers in the app, upload your receipt, And you get real cash that you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. So join the 50 million users, earn cash back every time you shop. Over 2,700 brands, everybody. Retailers, including Lowe's, Sephora, Best Buy. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code Fluster when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app to start earning cash back and use the code FLUSTER. That's
1: I-B-O-T-T-A and use the code FLUSTER. Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful? but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. Okay, we're back. So Lynn, when you were talking about this, of this listener question, we had a listener write in, I feel like this was our first season, but there was this lovely jar project that someone worked on where they filled a jar with different names of emotions. And it was really impressive. I got to figure out if I could find that again. Do you recall?
0: Yeah, I remember. I think she took a jar and she wrote down all these different emotions and put them in the jar. And then it was sort of like a dinner table discussion. They reached in and they pulled out one of the pieces of paper. And then the kids and the adults had to give an example of when they felt that way or a situation in which you might feel that emotion.
1: One thing that I learned from you while we were doing the podcast, and this was in the first year, because I remember during the pandemic when we started, we started doing this with our family, where we would watch something together and we would simply start talking about the emotions, the patterns of the characters. And I mean, we did this when we were watching Friends. The practice of families talking about this is probably absent in most households. Yep. Well, and again,
0: it's the same with anything that you have a child who is fearful of or phobic about. We do two things. First, we try and avoid. So say you have a kid who's terrified of bumblebees and you're like, okay, nobody mentioned that when the rhododendron is blooming, there's going to be a lot of bees, right? Like, let's just not talk about bees. We do that. Or we try and give a lot of reassurance and we talk about if the bee stings you, you'll be okay and you'll be safe. If we talk about it at all, we talk about it in terms of like, I've got to give you a warning about this. I've got to make sure that you feel safe about this. And those two approaches are on either end of what I really want you to think about. How do we normalize the experience of having a lot of emotions?
1: How do we normalize it? I come back to this because I think in order to normalize it, you have to talk about it. Yeah. And in order to talk about it, you have to have a vocabulary. Right. I think this mom can feel hopeful that independently of this worry pattern showing up, family efforts to talk about emotions more will demystify and give him more of a vocabulary to express what's going on. Exactly. I mean, here's an, an analogy
0: for this a lot of kids, when they're about seven or eight and they learn about death, it dawns on them that everybody's going to die and everything's going to die and it feels very overwhelming to them. And then parents are like, oh my God, he's talking about death or he's avoiding death or he's worrying about death. If you talk to kids who grow up on farms, they don't generally have that experience because it's been a part of their normal routine since they were kids, that the cycle of life and death is very normal if you're exposed to nature, if you're exposed to farms and that kind of stuff. So it's the same sort of concept. And I don't know in this family... But it would be interesting for this mom to think about the parents, whoever that may be, whatever configuration that is. How do the parents talk about feelings? How do they respond to their own feelings? How are they modeling, managing feelings? Just like if we were talking about how do you talk about bumblebees? How do you talk about thunderstorms? How do you talk about swimming? That if that vocabulary is something that we're marinating that child in and we're normalizing it, and he's got the words to talk about it, then it feels less overwhelming. But if the goal is to try and protect, to not have him go, for the mom to get worried, right? So I hear a little worry in that mom's question because she's saying, I'm worried that he'll never get over this. He's six. So really just marinating it, you know, look, not overdoing it. You don't have to sit down and have an emotional dissection conference every evening, but talking about feelings like, oh, I was so angry about that. Or, oh, I was so sad about that. Or it's normal for kids to see their parents having emotions and then being able to move through them because we want kids to see that they show up and then we get to the other side. That's what we want him to see. We want to normalize them and talk about them and make them part of his human experience for sure.
1: This mom, if she were a client of yours, with what level of certainty do you feel like if you had more information about the adults in the household and their emotional management, the mom probably has some homework that would help too?
0: Yeah. And again, I'm just guessing. We don't know. Right. But I said at the beginning, I see this a lot, right? This is not an unusual thing. It's not a different type of worry. It's not a different, we don't need a different approach. But it would be the same as if I had a child who was really afraid of germs. I would probably look and see how does this family talk about germs? What's the language that they use? Are they catastrophic about it? Are there avoidance things that go on? And I would ask the same about emotions are emotions for some reason in a lot of different ways in this family, are they difficult to talk about? Does this child not know how to talk about them? Do they see them very often? When they see them, are they big and scary? Do they have a grandparent that says, oh my gosh, he's upset. Oh God, we have to help him not be upset. Whatever it may be, you just want to pay attention to how you're talking about the experience of emotions so that the language normalizes it. We want to have a wide range of what are the normal emotions that you can experience. I'll give you an example with kids. So, say, particularly, we do this with boys is we say, Oh, you, there's nothing to cry about, right? Or there's nothing to worry about. So, somebody's afraid of something, we say, There's nothing to be afraid of, right? That's saying if you feel fear, we need to get rid of that or why are you so sad instead of saying oh it looks like you're sad what can we do about that or just acknowledging oh it looks like
1: you're really sad about that i get it i want to mention kind of the other direction is that as an adult now and i look back on my mom's behavior when i was a kid she was like i'm a people pleaser and i'm happy go lucky etc and then she would get pushed to a point where I would say she had a very short fuse and she showed anger and had big emotional reactions, where as a kid, I sort of thought they were kind of coming from out of the blue. And I recall as a young kid being kind of afraid of her really big emotional responses around anger because she didn't get angry that often. But when she did, it felt like it just a huge storm came from out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And I was scared by it. Yeah. If parents are having big emotions, if adults are
0: having big emotions, it can be scary. And kids don't really have a way to sort of understand all of that stuff. You, as an adult, how are you modeling emotional management for sure? It is also okay to talk about the process of getting angry or the process of getting sad. Parents say to me all the time, well, she she goes from zero to a hundred or she's totally fine. And then all of a sudden she's rageful. And generally that's not the case. We see what the steps are. It could be a fast escalation, but there still are things that get you from one place to another. Being able to make sure that you're modeling and talking about things that you are frustrated with. So one of the things to increase emotional literacy, we say to kids. Oh, I went to go get gas the other day and I was so frustrated because when I got to the gas station, I realized I had forgotten my wallet. Oh my gosh. And I was in a hurry and oh my God, it made me just want to cry. I felt so upset about it. Or I was watching this movie and it was so touching, or I saw this commercial and it reminded me of this and this, and it made me feel kind of sad. Or I was thinking about my dog that I had growing up and I just love that doggy so much. And when I think about him, I can feel happy that I had that great dog. Oh, and then I feel sad when I think about how he died. Giving your kids a range of emotional experiences and modeling that for them, again, it normalizes the fact that there is a huge, huge range of emotions that is normal and expected as human beings rather than making it be mysterious.
1: What I have thought about while learning from you on this podcast is this is something we, most of us all have to learn consciously as adults. It's not a very common thing that people are like, oh, I can check that box. Right. File it under, we're all works in progress
0: here. Correct. And some days we'll do a better job of it and other days we won't. You talked about not really having a lot of information about emotions and that was sort of confusing to you. Let me just (laughs) put this caveat on it too. There are some people who teach parenting stuff or whatever, and I'll tell you, in my opinion... They go way overboard in how much we have to help our kids talk about their emotions and that every time your child has some sort of emotional reaction or every time that they get upset about something, that you have to really focus on debriefing and pulling it apart and dissecting it. And I actually find that overdone in a lot of ways. We want to look at helping our kids express themselves emotionally and being able to identify their emotions. But if your child doesn't want to put his shoes on before you go out the door, you don't have to sit down and have a 15-minute discussion about the feelings he has about not wanting to put on his shoes. You can say like, look, I get you don't want to put your shoes on right now. I understand that, but we got to go. So let's go. So you can go too far in the other direction. I just want to say that too, that you can become this parent that feels like you have to talk about every emotion that your kid has in every moment. And that's
1: not realistic either. Well, that's why you always say talk 85% less. That's right. If you can only say 15% of what you want, make it count.
0: Yeah, make it count. And you don't have to feel like it's your job as a parent to dissect and talk about every difficult thing that your kid goes through. Sometimes just a little empathy, like, oh, that sounds hard. Yeah, I get it. That must have been so annoying. That's okay too. You don't have to overtalk this. You want to just make room for discussions of emotion. You want to make room for the fact that a lot of things that we experience, if we're watching something emotionally, it does make us uncomfortable.
1: So this listener question was with a six-year-old, but this is universal. So let's talk
0: about teens and adults. Yeah. Again, this mom said, I'm worried that he's not going to get over this. So if you have a teenager that's really afraid of feeling big emotions or gets overwhelmed by experiencing empathically the emotions of other people if you have a sensitive human being, those feelings hit hard for sure. So it usually starts early. And if you don't do anything about it, then it can absolutely just keep showing up and showing up. And again, avoidance is the way and lack of experience with emotions is the way to guarantee this thing will keep going. There's another aspect of this, though, that I'd like to talk about in terms of teenagers in particular and adults, is that another thing that I'm seeing and I'm hearing about this in my clinical work and I'm getting questions when I'm starting to be on the road now because I'm back on the road with schools and all that jazz, is adults being really afraid of teenagers experiencing emotions. So it's almost like the teenager is having big emotions about something. They had a breakup. They're really angry about something. They just got rejected. They're upset because they got cut from a sport team or they didn't get included. And they're having big emotions that I would absolutely categorize as developmentally appropriate for both the age and the situation. And the adults
1: are getting freaked out. The adults are getting overwhelmed. I can see this. I see this as a cultural statement too, where we no longer normalize big emotions for teens. We're terrified of them.
0: Yeah. But that's crazy. Well, it's crazy because being an adolescent, one of the things that adolescents do is they feel emotions in a big way and they express them in a big way. That's part of being an adolescent. Combine that with the absolute importance of their social lives and feeling connected. So when they feel rejected, when their hearts get broken, when they feel like they're not doing what they should be doing for whatever reason, they will have big emotions. You're exactly right, is that we've put together this fear of big emotions and we focused on teenagers, and that's exactly what teenagers are supposed to be doing. I think a lot of this comes from, understandably, the fear that a lot of parents are having right now about teenager mental health because the language about it can be so scary and so catastrophic. And so when you hear about something happening to a teenager, certainly when we hear about a suicide or you hear about somebody withdrawing from school or you hear about self-harm, parents are really feeling on edge about the emotional expressions of their teenagers. And they're panicking a little bit. Combine that with sort of the diagnostic vocabulary that's really gotten ramped up recently. And self diagnosis as well. Self diagnosis as well, for sure. So that we're using a lot of language that's pretty catastrophic and pretty diagnostic for what I would consider a really normal range of emotions, particularly in
1: teenagers. A teenager's typical emotional arc was sort of understood for many decades, but then you throw in a smartphone and a TikTok account Mm -hmm. and things are different now of how we talk or think about things. Correct.
0: Just as with the little kid, we wanted to normalize all these emotions and talk about them in a way that say, this is a part of being a human being. We also want to pay attention with ourselves. If you are the parent of a teen that what you want to look at is when my teen has big emotions about something, how are they handling them? Are they coming to you for help? Are they talking to their friends? Are they giving themselves some time to feel these emotions, but they're still participating in their activities? So if you have a teenager that gets cut from a team or gets rejected in some way and they're really grumpy for a while or they're up in their room and they're listening to sad music and they're just really feeling their feelings, that is not a reason to panic. If you have a teen that is not participating in activities, that you're really seeing a big change in how much they're isolating, that you're seeing changes in their sleep, that your instinct inside is saying like, my kid has really been different about this and it's lasting for a long time, then you pay attention. But if you are riding the roller coaster of adolescent emotions and you see your kids feeling big feelings and then the next day they're okay or the next week they're okay, that doesn't mean they're bipolar, by the way. Parents will say that to me. Well, she's happy one day and then sad the next. I go, yeah, because she's 15. Being able to normalize that they're going to have big reactions to things that are emotional, that are painful, right? I mean, just as we see kids throwing themselves on the floor and sobbing because they have a heartbreak, we also see them screeching for delight and running around after they saw the Barbie movie and we say, oh my God, right? Take it down a notch. That's the roller coaster of big emotions that we
1: can expect from this developmental stage. And let's push it one step further. I mean, I'm a parent of a teenager. You are. And I would agree that there is this fantasy of all parents of teenagers that they have like this even keeled teenager. (laughs) But no, the roller coaster is important. Yes. Praise the roller coaster for a second.
0: The roller coaster is their experience. Remember, we got a lot of hormones going on. They're figuring out who they are. There's a lot of experimenting with different friend groups and they're learning new things. They've been given independence. They have access to big issues and big topics. It is really normal for them to work through a lot of these things with big emotions. The roller coaster of, I feel miserable, I'm so upset, I feel so devastated by what happened, and then being able to get through it. So then the next day they feel some relief because maybe they got some good news from a friend or maybe it wasn't as bad as they thought, or maybe a good night's sleep really helped. So being able to talk to your teenagers And really normalize the fact that they're going to have big emotions rather than freaking out about it and helping them also recognize the things that they do that make them feel better and the things that they do that make them feel worse. They're learning about their operating system. So we're
1: going to have big emotions. When we come back, let's talk about what does the roller coaster look like in a house that is putting good practices in place around emotional management?
0: This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So, when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right, about all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money, and Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. If you've got kids at home I think you probably feel like you're feeding them all the time. It's just trying to come up with good recipes, good food, things they'll eat. Well, there's a great podcast. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly podcast. It's hosted by longtime food professionals, Stacey Billis and Megan Splon, And it's about feeding our families. It's even for parents who hate to cook because really kids eat a lot. So every week, Stacy and Megan get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens, from how to turn nachos into a family dinner, that sounds good, to the magic of meatballs, or dealing with that after-school snack problem. They talk about coping with picky eaters and the mental load of being the family cook, all as part of their mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even fun. So Didn't I Just Feed You is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your favorite podcast. You can learn more on didn't I just feed you or find them on Instagram as at didn't I just feed you. You're really going to enjoy listening to Stacy and Megan. They're going to help you out. And isn't that what podcasts are all about?
1: Okay. So now back to the show. So Lynn, we did an episode. It was a January of 2021, I think, talking about what is the goal here? If you've been listening to Lynn, you read her books, you understand like emotional management is a framework of managing big feelings, not just anxiety. It's anxiety and sadness and anger and everything else in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. Joy too, I suppose, We've talked about what an adult sort of looks like, and that adult has the capacity of separating themselves from their feelings. And if they aren't the positive feelings, maybe you are aware of your feelings of anger before you have an outward expression of anger. For example, I mentioned my mom earlier in this episode. I think I'm pretty good actually about anger with my kids because of how my mom handled it. I'm aware that I'm getting angry about something. And I verbally and calmly say, this is starting to really test my patience and I'm starting to get a little angry. And I say this in a very common language point. Just matter of fact. Yeah, just matter of fact. So my kids aren't like, oh, all of a sudden mom's angry. Why? Mm -hmm. But a teenager, that's a lot to ask for. So there's like a halfway step of having no awareness and working towards that. So what would a teen look like doing this?
0: Yeah. So it's very unlikely that a 14-year-old is going to come to you and say, I've noticed that I am feeling a bit distraught about this social situation. And I would predict that on Wednesday night, I'm going to have a crying jag, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. You're just going to see the crying jag. So what you want to think is that we're getting to that place. We're working to that place where you can begin to recognize this. This happened to me recently. There's stuff going on, and as there is in everybody's life, so we're handling things. I went and did a workshop. I came back. I knew I wasn't going to be working out with my group that I usually work out with. I was going to go to the gym by myself, and I knew that I was feeling a little emotional. I knew it. I got to the gym. Nobody else was there. It was empty. I put on the chicks, which I love, as loud as I could. And I did my workout with the music blaring and I was dancing at some points. I was crying at some points. I was just letting myself have an emotional hour. I wouldn't have done that if somebody else was in the gym. I wouldn't have walked in and been crying during my bicep curls. But that's maturity. So what we want to think about with teenagers and talk to teenagers, and sometimes we do it after the fact, the post-game analysis, is how do you develop the ability to express what you're feeling? And then when those feelings get you so that you're going to have a crying jag, how do you give yourself room to do that? in a way that doesn't overwhelm you or the people around you. So it's really okay to say to a teenager, you know what, it sounds like you just are having such a hard time. Is there anything else I can do to help? Do you just need to cry a little bit? Sometimes they're going to want to put on their sad music. They're going to want to just mope and be sad for a while. As long as you are kind of the emotional sidecar a little bit of the emotional observer, you're just giving them language. You don't have to jump in and fix everything. I don't want parents to freak out about it, but saying like, it just looks like you're having a really rough time and I totally get it. It's modeling for them how we experience our emotions. Sometimes it's got to be in the context of where we are and what we're doing. That's totally fine. Sometimes a kid might come home after a really rough day at school and want to go up into their room and cry their eyes out because they held it in all day at school, which is totally fine. Or they were so frustrated because their English teacher didn't get what they were saying and they want to come home and just rant a little bit. Teaching kids how to manage their emotions in a way that does not say you shouldn't be feeling this or every single emotion you have should be Unleashed on the world because every emotion you have is valid. What is that, again, big sweet spot of I'm feeling it? How am I going to manage it? How am I going to ask for help? And how do you, as a parent, make it normal for them to have these big feelings? That's the language.
1: We actually had another listener write something in that this is reminding me of that I want us to repeat here. And this is around anger. There was a mom who was talking about her son's angry outbursts that could sometimes be violent. That's obviously a bad case scenario, but it brings back the home point that I like what you said as a mom of a teenager, it is that neutral vanilla ice cream face I really observe how disappointed you are right now, or I really observe how sad you are right now, and I get it. You say it very neutrally, but you wanna make sure that they're expressing their reaction to that emotion in an appropriate way with the people around them. That I think is like the goal. While they're still under your roof, it's not acceptable to express your anger in this violent way, hit a wall, hit your sibling or whatever, right? Or it's not really constructive for you to express your sadness in a way that could be unhealthy. But it's, I get it that you have these feelings. I would love to help you if you need any support. How can you express them and honor them in a healthy way?
0: Right. And the thing I think I want parents to know is that there are so many ways in which you can express your feelings, your emotions in a healthy way. And there aren't all that many unhealthy ways. The list of how do we express our emotions in unhealthy ways is a lot shorter, actually, than the list of how we can express it in healthy ways. You can draw, you can sing, you can cry, you can go for a walk, you can talk to your best friend, you can go outside and throw rocks at a tree. The list is so long of how we can help kids to process their feelings. And then when we talk about what are the things that we don't want kids to do that should make us alarmed or that are unhealthy harm and self harm. That's right. That's like the list is pretty short. Yeah. Destruction, harm of somebody else, or harm of yourself, or harm of property. And then we also want to put on that also denial. So suppression, denial. I'm not angry. I'm not sad, but really saying there are so many ways that I can help you handle these big emotions.
1: There are so many healthy ways. How many of us are listening and realizing a lot of adults could benefit from this advice too, that we know
0: we're all works in progress. Yep, that's right. And this is why when I talk about elimination strategies... This is why I talk about this so often is we have to make sure that we are not teaching kids strategies that really tell them either implicitly or explicitly that the way to manage your stress, your anxiety, your sadness, your anger is to do something that says, I have to get rid of it. What I want them to hear is it's totally fine for you to feel this feeling and have this feeling and I want you to find a way that helps you get through it because it's going to be back, not get rid of it, because that's really impossible. And then we start to make those unhealthy choices, unfortunately.
1: You use the phrase elimination strategy, but I just want to unpack that, that what you're saying is don't try and get rid of something, sit with it. Mm -hmm. So elimination strategies are bad, not good. Mm -hmm. I talk about this
0: a lot with anxiety. And when I'm working with clinicians and things, make sure that your message is not We're going to get rid of this feeling. I'll give you one example of something that drives me crazy. You say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write down all of my worries. I'm going to put them in a box and I'm going to bury them in the backyard. No, we're not. We're going to have those worries. They're going to be there. They're going to come up. We're not going to get rid of them. So that's a little kid example of elimination strategy because then they say, well, you told me to do that and it didn't work because I feel these feelings. And a big person elimination strategy usually has to do with substances. So I feel this way if I drink, if I smoke pot, if I use another substance, I can get rid of. We're not trying to get rid of anything that backfires because what you resist Persists. So when we're talking about experiencing big feelings, when we're talking about working through big feelings, the goal is never to try and get rid of them, but to try and get through them with love and support and empathy, of course. Okay. And before we say goodbye, I just want to give a little plug. I am doing a two day 12 CEs for those of you who need your CEs for mental health professionals. It's October 19th and 20th, it is live. It is virtual. You are going to get so much information. I'm going to pack this training full with all of the stuff you need to really boost up your expertise as an anxiety professional. We need you. And I don't want any more mental health clinicians to think that the way to deal with anxiety is to help families get rid of it. I want to give them skills. This training is going to do that and more. So go to lynnlyons.com so you can register. Yeah, under the register button. Thanks for listening. And if you found this podcast helpful, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other
1: people find this information. And if you'd like to dig deeper on any of these topics, we have specialized playlists on our Spotify profile and the link is in the show notes. Topics like teens,
2: depression, and OCD.
0: Bye, Lynn. Bye, Robin.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilled Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired.